This is John D. LeMay from Friday the 13th, the series, and Jason Goes to Hell. And you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. special hours of an all-new Friday the 13th. The works of the holy were undone. The face of evil challenges all that is good. His disciple! The devil himself chooses a new leader. If we're both happy. A vicious battle where both sides win and lose. Two special hours, one incredible season premiere. Friday the 13th, the series. This is the Dead TV podcast you're listening to as part of the 11th anniversary of the Radio of Horror Network. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And we begin our coverage of Season 3 of Friday the 13th, the series. And for the beginning of Season 3, we have on with us a very special guest who had been on the show for the last two seasons of Friday the 13th, the series, as well as one of the stars of the Friday the 13th movie, Jason Goes to Hell. We have actor John LeMay on the show with us. Thank you for coming on the show with us, John. It's my pleasure. Happy All Hallows Eve week. Yes, yes. Happy Halloween, Mr. Zeneca. Happy Halloween, John, to you and yours. Yeah, we've got a lot of Halloween... uh goodies that uh, we do over at my house. Oh, what are you going to be for Halloween this year, uh, John and Mr. Zeneca? Oh, well, I'm going to be Ryan Dalian circa 1988 <laughs> from The Prophecy. Are you going to have one of those awesome 80s t-shirts that he was rocking in every episode? Got it. Some some nasty contacts to make my eyes look like the devil. Ooh. What about that Letterman's jacket you wore in Jason Goes to Hell? Are you going to have that on, too? <laughs> No, no, that will that will clash with the Ryan Dalian look. You could be one. Trans- I agree. <laughs> you could be one transforming into the other. <laughs> half and half. I still have that jacket. Oh yeah. Oh wow, that's really cool. How much cool. of that wardrobe did where you managed? Uh, were you able to scrape from the theater? Look, I yeah. have no, I have no taste in clothes. So anybody can pick out clothes for me that fit. I'll take them if I can, if I can. So. That's okay. Ryan didn't have any taste in clothes either. Oh, are you kidding me? I rocked those cargo shorts in season one. <laughs> you had this jacket on with the the shoulder arm, the sh- the arm shoulders, so huge. <laughs> Come on now. It was a look. It was a look. <laughs> it was the eighties, you know. <laughs> The episode, but you know, the '80s are coming back. I was just watching. My wife and I just watched the prophecies in preparation for today's show. I don't know. I didn't see anything wrong with the torn knees and the jeans and the pointed toe cowboy boots, cool wool jacket, and the uh, the scarf and tie look. I didn't see anything wrong with that. Well, and, the- and in the beginning of the episodes, you were wearing the evolution t- uh, shirt t-shirt. 
that you wore which I, which I still do rock every once in a while you do you do it's awesome mr seneca why don't you give us the episode synopsis for the prophecies part one and two which is a two-part episode which is rare for the series yes uh the prophecies originally aired uh, october 7th 1989 Mickey and Ryan travel to a French village to help Jack stop a fallen angel from fulfilling six evil prophecies. Then followed up by original aired um, October 7th, 1989, because it was a two-part episode. Uh, the Prophecies Part 2, Jack tries to stop a fallen angel from fulfilling Lucifer's prophecies while Ryan becomes possessed by the devil. Dun, dun, dun. And it's funny. Yeah. It's, fu- it's funny we're talking about this episode... Um, the weekend before Halloween, because a lot of people associate Halloween with, you know, Satan worshipping and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I gotta say, this was pretty... Uh, I uh, I thought the episode held up really well. I don't know what you guys think, but I, I thought it was pretty... Tom McLaughlin wrote and directed it, and he did a wonderful job of creating, I thought, a really tight uh, tight script, and he shot it masterfully i think it looks great but man it's um it's violent i mean that scene in the um that scene in the insane asylum with 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 the uh with the syringes kind of uh, crucifying one of the uh interns up against the wall that was that's pretty serious that's intense intense. yeah you know when the 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 clock bell rings at uh 3 33 a.m and the entire insane asylum goes wild. It's massive hysteria, and it's great television. Now, before we oh get in, before we get to the episode at hand, um, John, how, before we get to the prophecy part one and two, your final episode, how did you get yeah. started with Friday the Thirteenth the series? Yeah, how did you get this gig? I, I auditioned and auditioned and auditioned and auditioned. I think we had like three or four callbacks, and oh, I just remember working on this, a scene with Roby. On, on Paramount's lot, you know, this really storied, cool lot that I just always felt privileged to be on. But it was right next, we were trying to find a quiet space, and it was, of course, right next to a dumpster. So that's what I kind of remember about working on the scene with Roby rehearsing, right next to a dumpster on Paramount's lot, and then going back in and kind of nailing it. What was the biggest thing that you take away from the show when you, you know, for the first two seasons that you were on it? What was your, you know, what was the one thing that stayed with you through the entire show? What what did you really, you know, love about it so much? What a tremendous, uh, you know, I wanted to be an actor since I was 13 years old. And, and uh, I kind of never even, I, I, I was afraid to even dream that I could be, you know, a lead in a television series. Um, and when I got the role... I, you know, had no idea what the hell I was doing. I can't tell you how supportive and um, and encouraging everybody on that crew was. Um, it was, it, you couldn't fail. You know, these people believed that you could do it, and therefore you believed you could do it. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, one scene that really struck me from the prophecies is that moment where you're standing over Jack and you're crying kind of hysterically crying because of what you're going through at the moment how do you as an actor reach that point of emotional tension where you're able to you just tears pouring down your face it's it's wonderful to watch how do you get there oh you know what i was just 
I was just talking to my wife about that scene as we rewatched it today, and um, that was really my goodbye, not only to Jack and uh, the character at that moment in time in the show, but also my kind of goodbye to the to the show. That scene really felt like my character and uh, myself as an individual was was taking a big leap, um, one into darkness and one into uh, one into uh, another place. Uh, uh, light, you know, um, wasn't hard to get there. It, there was a lot going on that last week while we were filming. What would you say would be your, if you had to choose, like, two of the biggest episodes in the series for your career that you absolutely loved and adored, uh, what would they be? Well, this one, I, I just think this one is awesome. And by this time, I was really, I was thrilled to be um, playing the bad guy. Uh, in this episode to, to, to kind of make that turn. I was always a little envious of all the guest stars who'd come on the show and, and get to, uh, you know, chew on a bunch of scenery and act up a storm. And uh, so uh, it was it was really kind of a thrill for me to be able to, to get a little taste of that before I left the show. Um, otherwise, you know what, There's you guys reminded me of all these uh, wonderful episodes but what I take away from most of it is these wonderful directors I got to work with. Oftentimes, you, you felt like a lot of them made you feel like you were actually a collaborator, and that's kind of a rare thing for an actor to feel. Oftentimes, you're kind of just um, uh, treated like cattle, and um, and um, a lot of these directors, you know, uh, made you feel like you were you were really contributing to the to the final product. How much did you actually contribute? How much did they allow you to? evolve your character i think i think the writers gained more and more trust in and um and stretched my character more and more uh after uh you know they gave you little tests along the way i think jim henshaw was talking about this in the last episode uh, of your show i i think they you know they tried to try to gauge what it is you they thought you could do and if you could if they felt like you could do more and more and more then they gave you more and more and more and um um, particularly at the end of the show, I felt very fortunate that they that they trusted me to 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 do more. Yeah, I, I heard in a previous interview that you did that uh, your character Ryan in the very beginning was uh, supposed to be like uh, Bruce Willis in Moonlighting. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I and mean, when I, when I got the word for the uh, the the directions for the audition, it was they were really trying to kind of emulate emulate that relationship between. Um, Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd in Moonlighting. So they did want kind of this um, this kind of flippant, but also this kind of romantic chemistry between the two. Yeah, and then that's where like we as reviewers see that in the you know in the age of Me Too, and I'm like, ah, that doesn't really hold up very well. That type of romantic tension because between cousins. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys, yeah, it's it. That's that was always a, a little bit of a hang up, and also why we couldn't, you know, yeah. go any further than we did. But yeah. um, but yes, it's the, they tried to make it very clear, I think, and that's why they got rid of it, I think, you know, ultimately. Um, plus, I do remember Tim Bond coming up to me and telling me we we at the very second episode we were doing, you know, I think I'm trying to do my best Bruce Willis, and you know, he said, John, you're always going to be a second-rate Bruce Willis. You'll always be a first-rate John LeMay. So you know, use as much of yourself as possible, and that was that was terrific uh, advice. I took it to heart. 
my, my I was kind of you know every time I watched an episode that they they mentioned that you guys were cousins, but they had this romantic kind of thing going on with Ryan, like you know desiring Roby. It's like I'm wondering if the writers forgot that they wrote that they were cousins, and then they're like you know the scripts were already written. And they kind of, you know what I mean? They lost their own continuity for a little while because after halfway through season one, they stopped that altogether, and you guys were were cousins, and that's it. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could be that they had a, you know, that they had a a few scripts already written, and that was kind of the direction that, like I said, that's the direction that they had kind of planned to go with it. Um, um, but yeah, like I said, they 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 did kind of ditch it about halfway through. What can you tell us about? Season. What can you tell us about working with the late great Chris Wiggins? Oh, he was such a gentleman and uh, such a, a wonderful mentor to me. I learned so much from working with him, and uh, I felt like he, you know, I, I had not had that much experience in film and television prior to working on the show. A few spots here, a few guest spots here and there, but he really uh, was a seasoned pro, and he taught me the ropes. He definitely carried that role extremely well. I mean, he was like, that That was... Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, was, he was the awesome. grandfather on the show that everyone wanted. Yeah. He was just awesome. And just such a such a fine, fine, fine actor. I mean, and just a pleasure to work with. There, there, there's a joke we constantly kept making on the show, and I'm sure you've heard it, saying, you can't be in a relationship with anybody... <laughs> ...in this cast. I mean, I don't mean the cast in real life, but you know what I mean? The characters on the show... You just can't be related to anybody. <laughs> and Ryan seriously tried. He tried to have those love interests, and every single time it just was squelched. Unless you were yeah. a voodoo priestess or a uh, cute little Amish girl, you were not going to get into a relationship with Ryan DeLion. Or any of us, for that matter. I mean, I, you know, we were all kind of normal, ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances every week, uh, you know, when you're fighting the devil on a weekly basis so but you try to be normal and that means you try to have a normal life outside of all that and i i think um i think it i think it did allow us though ultimately those those moments allowed us to be you know real human beings and have real uh feelings and real emotions and have real pain and loss uh, it deepened our characters um but yeah we probably should have learned earlier on just to kind of be celibate and stay away from everybody. Yeah. There's yeah. a um. There was a uh. There 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 um. Uh, let me start over. Your your dad came on the show and he got killed off. And then of course you know Ryan lost his brother at an early age. But it was really nice to see that um in the prophecy part one and two, mom is finally makes an appearance. Of course we thought she was dead, and so did Ryan. Or uh, and she comes back and everything's good and then you get this, you know, the mom gets a happy ending. Yeah, because you now uh, have reverted before all of those years where you felt abandoned and and uh, like the cause of your mother's pain. Suddenly, the character Ryan is now a child. How did you feel about how your character ended in that fashion? I forget how I felt about it. At the moment, but in rewatching it today, I, I really, like I said, I thought I thought it all wrapped up into a. I thought it was very tight. I thought it was foreshadowed at the beginning of the show. This whole, you know, mother abandoning me at, you know, 14, and for her to get a chance to, to kind of uh, make up for that, uh, and for me to get a chance to, not have um, that pain associated with uh, my mother abandoning me. I thought it all worked out really well 
Um, I think fans were a little freaked out by it. I think they said, what the hell is going on? Um, it's a little different. You know, you don't really see the whole age reversal in television. Yeah. No, that doesn't happen very often. I got a great picture, a great um, Polaroid of myself and these two other young versions of me standing all in the same wardrobe. I love how my wardrobe shrunk down right with me. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually... Um, uh, Elise Wax published that picture in her book, Curious Goods, Behind the Scenes of Friday the 13th. It has you and uh, three other Ryans. Oh, is there three? Well, okay. <laughs> the, uh, you know, what's funny is that um, they had just did that in Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. At the end of that movie, Jason is washed over with toxic waste and turned into a child. Oh, see? We steal from only the best. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Now, you are, like, the only actor, major actor, excuse me, there are, there, are, there are minor parts, and, of course, Tom McLaughlin directed part six, Jason Lives, but you're the only actor from the, from the television series to transform into an actor into the movie series. Do you feel like that's a badge of honor? Did you, I mean, how did that even happen? Um, I was uh, in Los Angeles point um uh, wow i think i've been away from the show the series for two years and i was hanging out with uh my friend sam mahoney who was um uh, the uh, ad on the first season of the series uh and he was going to be the ad uh for uh, jason goes to hell and adam marcus uh had just lost his lead actor uh, they couldn't work out a contract, and Sam just mentioned to me in passing. So, do you want me to just you want me to tell Adam that would you be interested in in you know in doing a Friday the Thirteenth film? And I go, well, well, sh sure, I'll, I'll meet with him. And I so I went in and met with Adam, and um, I was impressed by his energy and his um, and his ideas for uh, the movie, and um, so yeah. The easiest audition I ever had. Just offered it to me there. Wow. You don't get those types of offers as actors. No, you don't turn those down either. So I, <laughs> sure, I said, okay, let's do this. And then, yes, of course I wear it as a badge of honor. There's, you know, how many people can say they survived Jason Voorhees? I, <laughs> and, I mean, God, it must have been a much more physically demanding role because your character gets his, like, fingers snapped off by... Uh, 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 Creighton Duke, a.k.a. Stephen Williams, a 21 Jump Street fame. How many people get to have that badge of honor? <laughs> uh, very demanding role, absolutely. I was I was in and out of the hospital. I, I'll be honest, I can't watch that scene without touching my fingers every time you put your fingers through the cage. I get to see your hands. And he's all like, you know, smiling at you and touching your hands really slowly. Like I was just like, ah, 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 it's coming, it's coming. Ah! It was a weird scene, but it was fun to do. It was, that's more painful to watch than the two people in the in the tent fucking and getting the rhubarb shoved right through her body and ripped in half. <laughs> yes. Of course, you remember that scene. It's the best kill in the movie. In the television show or in uh, Jason Goes to Hell, did you do your own stunts? Uh, I tried to do as many as as I could. And I was young, I was stupid, and 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 you know tried as many as I could, but I failed at my good share of them. I I spent one night 
on location. We were doing the Civil War episode, and uh, I was supposed to ride in. Oh, Roby was driving the horse, and I was supposed to ride in behind her bareback on this horse. They said action, and this horse, and she kicked the horse because she was because she was wanting to get that horse going, and and that horse just didn't like two people on it, and he just bucked me right off the back oh onto God. the frozen tundra. Wow. In Ontario, Canada. And I was handcuffed at the time, no less. I was supposed to get off the horse and then take my handcuffed hands and hit somebody upside the head. And I thought I could do it in one take. And I should have learned my lesson. Didn't work out so well. Oh, my God. You're, you're lucky to survive an experience like that. I mean, people being thrown from horses, you look at what happened to Christopher, Christopher Reeve. And, I mean, that's, that's really dangerous. Yeah, I landed on my right buttock. Oh. Right? So there wasn't much there to hurt. Well, at least it's a proper landing, not uh, on your hands or on your face. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess I was lucky. Uh, Kane Hodder said to me one time that you were a trooper when you did his uh, when you were um, when you did part of your fight scenes with him at the end of Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah, he was a great guy to work with. I really enjoyed my. He's like I said, how many people get to fight Jason Voorhees? Hit him upside the head with a shovel, you know, and you know, <laughs> it's, it, was, it was a blast. Yeah, I mean, you you live. Of course, I told you off uh, you know off the air uh, a couple of days ago what happened to uh, to Steven, but we will go into that over the air. Um, go read Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash, people, to, to find out the more the fate of uh, of uh, Steven. I'm sure it's gruesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, in this episode, we are going through this like religious prophecy where um, there is a the cursed object is the book of Lucifer and uh, the prophecies, the six prophecies that lead up to Ryan being possessed by the devil uh, all kind of tick off at 3.33 a.m. and it involves a convent and uh, nuns and priests and, and it, it's an entirely religious storyline with the virgin mother coming at the end of the episode to kind of bless everyone. That's very unusual for Friday the 13th. Like, we've not really gotten a Catholic or, you know, so Christian storyline thus far. No, I mean, I no wonder, again, we were watching it today. No wonder the religious right ended up kind of uh, 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 thinking that this show needed to be boycotted. This was pretty this was religion-laden, uh, for sure. And, mm -hmm. um, and um yeah, yeah, the devil makes a pretty powerful appearance, and uh, yeah, I, 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 it was, this was this was also the time where there was the satanic panic going through, and things such as like Dungeons and Dragons or or anything with demonic uh, symbology was uh, in the news. Kind of the media blasted it as being all real and dangerous and. A huge satanic panic. Do you think that this episode kind of contributed to that? Wow, this one and the episode before Coven of Darkness, which again I just yeah. I just watched that the other day too. After your episode, I wanted to see see what it was all about. I hadn't seen it before. Um, it was it was full of that kind of stuff too. It was pretty heavy. Um, and they they were showing that the show was syndicated, so it was pre-sold along with Star Trek: The Next Generation and. Um, Local television stations got to kind of show this show at any time they wanted to. It wasn't like it was on a network and it was going to be on at uh, nine o'clock on Friday nights. 
people, you know, certain markets were seeing this at, you know, dinner time. So it's pretty heavy stuff to be seeing it. Yeah, time, yeah. Uh, the the film was actually uh, the shoot took place at the Ursuline Convent of Quebec City. And it was built in 1639 as the oldest convent in North America. Hmm. Uh, is there anything that you can uh, tell us, tidbits that you remember from the location shoot and uh, how different that was from any of the other sets that you uh, filmed at? Yeah, I mean, the, the opportunity to hang out in Quebec for a week, that was, that was a treat. Uh, what a cool town. Uh, we didn't go on location for this is this was a this was a very it was a very special send off for Ryan. I mean, he got to go to got to go to Quebec City and film for a week, and uh, uh, yeah, it was. I got to stay at the Hotel Frontenac, which is the Chateau Frontenac, which is uh, just a stunning old beautiful hotel. Yeah, great city, great. That was a great experience. Don't we? Yeah, talk the majority of it was filmed in Toronto, right? Yes. The otherwise the film. Yeah. Oh, the, John, the series was. John, you're breaking up again. Just repeat that last part. Otherwise, the series was was shot in Toronto. Yeah. Don't we talk about in almost every episode, Mr. Zeneca, or try to like pinpoint exactly where Curious Goods is? Yes, yes, and it's always muddled. Um, there's not one little clue because it's very close to the ocean, and yet it's kind of told that it's somewhere in the middle of America. Yeah, like Chicago, and Chicago's not near an ocean. All right, what is your guy's obsession with figuring out where this show is <laughs> taking place? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's just that little bit of knowledge, you know. Is there an actual place that we were to take a road trip to? That would be fun. Um, <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like going to the Walking Dead uh, scenes and sets in, in Georgia. You know, you can take a drive and, and drive past all those landmarks and, you know, it gives you that nice, you know, behind the scenes of Walking Dead. So if there was a place where we could take the road trip and do the behind the scenes of Friday the 13th, the series, um, if there was a spot or existing areas that we could go to, that would be amazing. So th I think that's why we're trying to pin down where it took place. Well, you'd have to go to Toronto, and you'd have to go to the parts of Toronto that look like anywhere USA, any big city USA, and that's where they filmed it. I mean, Toronto uh, at that time, and, and still does, it, it stands in for New York City, for Chicago. I mean, they, there's a lot of filming that goes on up there, and um, it, it does um, emulate a lot of different cities. But yes, Curious Goods is still there, um, or the, the area that we shot there. Mm -hmm that material for curious goods it's now really a very upscale kind of uh, um, part of town with shops and stuff brewery district i think um and back when we shot there it was pretty it was a pretty scary part of town um but yeah now i think it's all really upscale uh shops what have you been doing the last 10 years because your imdb kind of ends at like 2010 and then uh but uh so i'm wondering if you've uh retired from acting or you're pursuing other opportunities well, my family and I moved to Idaho, Boise, Idaho, about uh, four years ago, and there's just not many opportunities here. Uh, so um, uh, I've started a video production company. I, I did that on the side in, in Los Angeles for many years and um, decided to make it a career here. So I have a production company called Feet First Films, and we create 
uh, well, we help businesses and other organizations. We help them tell their stories. So whatever their stories are for social media and their websites, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. And weren't you also involved with Legally Blonde, the stage show? Yeah, that was a real treat to be able to do that. I, I started out um, doing musical theater uh, when I was a kid, and um, that was always kind of my dream prior to going to Los Angeles was to do uh, musicals. That was my big deal. And then, um, yeah, prior to my leaving, um, I worked with a kind of professional theater company in town called the Cabrillo Music Theater in Los Angeles, X Thousand Oaks, California, actually. And we did a production of Legal Blonde, in which I played uh, the professor. Oh, nice. I'm uh, I'm kind of hit or miss on musicals sometimes. I've 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 there have been a lot I've um there have been a lot I have never been a fan of, but there are a few here and there that I that I've uh, really latched onto, like the original musical production of um uh what, what's the rock one called? Uh, it was made in that terrible movie with Tom Cruise. Uh, the rock one? Yeah, rock. Uh, oh. Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. Yes, yes, I love the yeah. play. You know what? I'm not a big. Mu- I don't like going to see musicals very much, but I loved doing them. I don't oh. know why. I just, you know. Um, and now I have a, a bit of a desire to watch them every once in a while. But I always thought it was weird that people just broke out into song. Like, what's going on with that? <laughs> like, uh, like Little Shop of Horrors or something. That's a great musical, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the 25th anniversary of the movie this year, isn't it? Oh, Rick Moranis was great in that. That's, uh, that's a good movie. Yeah, definitely. And uh, are you, uh, are you a big singer, singer and dancer? Uh, singer, the dancing was always the um, the Achilles heel of my triple threat. Gotcha. <laughs> we didn't get Ryan could, singing could, on the I show. I could move, move well. Uh, but, that was about it. I don't remember Ryan ever singing on the show. You know, like being a being a singer. I remember he has the guitar once in a while, but I don't remember there being a musical episode. And I'm wondering if that is it because like Roby was like the big musician on the show. I think they just missed out. Oh. Was it something that yeah. you asked them to do? Like, hey, I can sing, guys. Do you wanna? Do you want me and Roby to do a do a maybe a, a song episode? Uh, no, never asked. <laughs> <laughs> it it would be pretty odd. Uh, talk about strange. talk about weird, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If Ryan just broke out in a song, <laughs> some cursed object causes you yes. to sing uncontrollably. Exactly yeah. what I was thinking about a cursed object. It's a cursed <laughs> microphone. <laughs> Uh, back in 2008, uh, the, the round, I was still within the first year of starting the Dr. Chris Radio Horror Show. In March of 2008, we had Roby on the show. Yes, that's nice. How did? She, how was she? She was fantastic. She spoke. Yeah, she spoke highly of you and Chris, and uh, we uh, played a bit of her new album. No, oh, awesome. Yeah, no, she's great. We, we keep in touch. We uh, message each other every once in a while. There's a uh, a friend of mine uh, recently did a production where uh, he had to wear contacts the entire time. And in the prophecies one and two, taking it back to the episodes that we're talking about, uh, were the contacts a big pain in the ass? No, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think they were very comfortable. Uh, you're right. Yeah, probably not. Because back then they made con- those contacts were basically contact lenses made for your prescription, but then they just painted uh, on top of the contact uh, whatever look they wanted. So basically it had an extra layer of paint on it. 
You know what's funny is the prophecy part, I think this is part one, it's the only episode on IMDb that looks like in a foreign country, it got its own VHS release, and it was called Spadomarna. Spadomarna. And it's got a picture of you on the back, and it's got a picture of the uh, the kid on the front, and then it's got the that cast photo of you, Chris, and Roby on the back as well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, well, they did try to, I mean, the the whole deal of this, they, they were kind of create a little self-contained movie. Well, I also love the fact that you guys brought up the fact that these these um, episodes were all self-contained. I mean, there was no continuity in time, and and um, I hadn't really thought about that before. But you're right; it wasn't until Twin Peaks that 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 shows kind kind of um, picked up where they left off. You know, the last week um, that they kind of that at the time kind of kept going forward. Um, yeah, right. These are all little self-contained episodes. Nowadays, you can't make a TV series being a standalone episode. Everything has to be connected, and it's it, it's sometimes a bit annoying. Um, yeah, I, I don't like that particularly with some shows. Like when X-Files started, it was that single shot. You could jump in or jump out at any time, just like Friday the 13th, the series. And then later it moved to episodes where you actually had to watch the two episodes prior in order to get what was going on. And for me, watching television is always this sporadic event. So having a show where I could just jump in and out is a little bit better for me overall um, than how shows are doing it right now, where they're just expecting you to binge watch the whole thing. Right, right. Yeah. Who's? I, I don't have the time generally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> it, it's funny you brought up the X-Files that way because the uh, the villain of our two-part episode, Fritz Weaver, played Astaroth? Ast- Ast- Astaroth, yeah. yeah. He was on the X-Files for two episodes. He played Senator Albert Sorensen. Yeah. Uh, uh, what a great uh, great character actor and what a what a uh, honor it was to work with him. Um, yeah, that was really awesome. And he was great. He reminded me of Nosferatu a little bit in some of these shots with the long fingers, with the long fingernails. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the long fingernails, kind of gaunt look to him. You guys definitely had the creep factor on that TV series more so than a guy running around in just a hockey mask. You know, I mean, the villains on the show, you know, because they were extremely interactive and they were extremely um, human at times, you know, with mistakes falling from, uh, you know, obsession, desire, you know, as well as just being... Uh, you know, insecurity, need, all of those very base emotions that, you know, these cursed objects really latch onto. Uh, so the villains just were this humanistic, the, the darkest side of humanity. And that's really mm-hmm. been interesting to watch. Great, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Fu- Zeneca, what do, you, what do you know about this, this, um, this cursed object this week? Ah, well, <laughs> now that you say... <laughs> Okay, the the Book of Lucifer, as mentioned in the episode, uh, the way they have it in the episode is, of course, made for the episode. There is no actual Book of Lucifer that looks like that and whatnot. Are you but, sure? <laughs> hey, you know, people's grimoires can look however they want them to look, but I was not able to find any copies that look like that. Uh, the Book of Lucifer is actually a book contained within the Satanic Bible, that uh, you can pick up at your local uh, library or bookstore. So the Satanic Bible actually has four books contained within, uh, the Book of Satan, the Book of Lucifer, the Book of uh, Belial, and the Book of the Leviathan. 
And it's pretty interesting. The book of Lucifer is really talking about um, the philosophies of the Satanic Church. And um, it's pretty interesting to read, but it's uh, talking about how the seven deadly sins are kind of advocated because they're different versions of, of um, you know, dif different emotions that humans go through. I won't go through the whole thing, but I've got a little bit of information on our star, Astaroth. Astaroth, uh, which if you were to pick up a copy of the Lesser Key of Solomon book, uh, it has the Goetic seal uh, for Astaroth. So you could actually, in your magical workings, summon Astaroth. I don't recommend it, um, but you could. You could summon him. Uh, Astaroth is actually uh, considered a great duke of hell. So right underneath Beelzebub and Lucifer in the evil trinity. Uh, he's Mesopotamian, uh, has Mesopotamian connections, and um, in the Lesser Key of Solomon, where you can find his grimoire, he's described as um, a great and strong duke coming forth in the shape of a foul angel, sitting upon an infernal dragon, and carrying, carried in his right hand a viper. Uh, so he's a very, very powerful demon, and in, this ep in, in the prophecies, he's kind of depicted as a human being. And then the very end where the fire is engulfing him and you see the actual demon form with the horns, that's a little bit closer to what Astaroth looks like in all of the illustrations. Um, you can see pictures of him in the Dictionnaire Infernal, uh, published in 1818, uh, which was actually um, created from uh, the Inquisition uh, information. So he's also depicted as a nude man with feathered wings, wearing a crown with a serpent. Um, very interesting character, but uh, that's a little bit of info on that. <laughs> I love the way you do that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Hey, cult knowledge is my thing. And after we get done with this recording, Mr. Zeneca and I will summon Astroth to ask him questions about the episode in question as well. Stay tuned for that. Absolutely. You'd be a good guest. <laughs> so how do you feel like your character was in Soul Calibur versus when it was on Friday the 13th of the series, Mr. Astroth? Um, <laughs> there is an action figure of Astroth, too, that you could buy if you search around on eBay or Amazon. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. There is not. There is, because he's a character in a video game series called Soul Calibur, which is like a fighting oh, okay. game like Mortal Kombat. Not from, but not from this episode, no. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. <laughs> no, it doesn't look like Fritz, sorry. Right. <laughs> now, what's funny is that the uh, the nun in this episode, Sister, I got her name, Sister Adele, Adele. this uh, this was this actress's first, um, her first role, and she's still acting Mar today. Marie-France Lambert, yeah, she's She's uh, she's had quite a nice career. Yeah, and still acting to this very day, which is really nice. A lot of it's ninety nine point nine percent of it is, of course, foreign uh, material. So this is like seems to be from everything I can't read because uh, I don't uh, I'm, I'm not um, I'm not French. This is her only American role. Yes, yeah, she didn't. Uh, she she does a nice job uh, with the English in this uh, episode, uh, but she didn't. Uh, she's she's she didn't speak much English. I don't recall. It's it's funny because we just got done reviewing um, the Nun, which is a horror movie part of the Conjuring films uh, recently. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, you know those films, uh, the based on the uh, the Warwick the Warren files, the the demonologists. Um, 
If you're, are you, you've heard, have you heard of Elizabeth Warren, John? No, I have not. Okay, she's a local Connecticut uh, demon hunter. Excellent. And she was involved in the Amityville Horror researching that. You guys, with all those demons out there, you, you need some help. You know, it's just, I think if you don't believe in it, they won't bother you. You know, that's my right. opinion. Okay. <laughs> I don't believe in ghosts, and I haven't had a ghost bother me. <laughs> well, you know, it, there's a lot of theories as to what ghosts actually are. You know, it could be residual energy from the passing of souls between, you know, states of existence. Matter is neither created or, or energy is neither created or destroyed, so... No, nah, that could be something. Could be people's imaginations. You know, you really don't know for certain because we don't have any tools that can test it yet. Do people you are working on that? Do you believe in the supernatural, John? Do I believe in the supernatural? I don't. Uh, I don't deny it. I'm, okay. you know, I'm kind of. Uh, I'm very open. I'm very uh, an open human being. I don't think that we know everything. We. I don't think that we know everything. That's for sure. My opinion about it is always, um, I, I, I don't believe in ghosts, but I will never say that certain things can't be possible, and I can't, I will never say that we are the only beings in the entire galaxy. There you go. Yeah. I, I had an experience prior to getting this show. Oh. I went to a spiritualist center Ooh. in Los Angeles. I'd been there for a couple years, and I was getting a little anxious about whether or not I was going to have a career or not, so I wanted some answers, and I thought maybe the Spiritualist Center would have some answers. And at the beginning, before you go into this ceremony, this this service, I think they called it, um, you put questions in a in a in a on a piece of paper, and you put them in a hat or a basket. And, mm-hmm. um, they drew my question, and. You know, must have, it must have said something like, am I going to ever get a job or what? <laughs> and um, the answer from, from beyond was, I see you working. I see you working back east. In fact, I see you moving back east. And lo and behold, you know, I got this opportunity to, to move from Toronto or from Los Angeles to Toronto to do this series. Wow. That's, so, that's a good omen there. Uh, but it was just it was it was very odd. I mean, this was these people. Uh, I don't know if you understand no spiritualist centers, but they uh, they basically uh, get messages from beyond. So cool. Uh, this message felt like it was coming from beyond. And you know what? Um, like you were talking before, psychologically, who knows? Maybe every audition that came up that shot in New York City, I I just had more confidence because I felt like this was the one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But at some point, you know, it happened. So there you go. One way or the other, it worked. We would definitely be remiss if we didn't mention that your mother in this episode, played by Jill Frappier, has had an amazing career going all the way to today and still acting. Her biggest claim to fame has got to be among anime fans as a voice on Sailor Moon, which is an incredibly popular female-centered anime cartoon. I didn't know that. You know, my daughter loved Sailor Moon. Yeah, um, she was Luna. She's Luna on that show. Did you watch that scene at the end when I've, I've been turned into a 14-year-old and, or however, a 10-year-old, and, and she sees me for the first time? I mean, that is not an easy scene to play, and no, she not at all. freaking nailed it. Yeah, that was that was really great, and I love how you're calling her out, but she's not she's not paying attention to the boy calling her name, you know, calling mom because she's not, you know, she's looking for, you know, 20-something-year-old Ryan, not 10-year-old. Yeah, no, I mean, then to expect her to. To, to believe that this is Brian, you know, I, I just thought she played it 
spot on. It was perfect. Now, I agree. We 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 of course mentioned all the time about like, do we own it? You know, do we own the object question? We don't own a book of Lucifer. I do own a copy of the Necronomicon, which can be found at any local Barnes and Noble. So that <laughs> yeah. looks complete BS. But uh, is that the same Necronomicon that was in Jason Goes to Hell? Was it now? Of yes, books. of course. You know how they got that prop, don't you? Oh yeah, Adam. Adam spoke with whatever his name was. Sam Raimi. Yeah, Sam Raimi. Yeah, they were filming Army of Darkness uh, next door. <laughs> oh, the coincidences. Yes, I would love to have seen, like, um, I don't remember, Mr. Seneca, did we cover, or is it coming up in season three? Are there any, like, big H.P. Lovecraft-centered episodes of Friday the 13th, the series? Well, we haven't had one thus far. Okay. But that's a missed opportunity, because H.P. Lovecraft's works are in public domain. That could have been a great episode for them to do. Yeah, and when they, uh, what I loved about the show is that they did kind of try to stay, um, they were inspired by pop culture of the time, no two ways about it. I mean, we had the, we had the, uh, the, uh, the Penitite, uh, what was the name of that uh, episode? The, the, the Hathor's Quilt. Yes. The Quilt of Hathor, yeah, and yeah. that was kind of, you know, uh, Harrison Ford and Witness, had, the movie Witness had just come out. That wasn't to uh that was at the same time and then we oh, had wow. one one episode that was kind of a miami vice episode and then i think one episode oh the read my lips episode with the ventriloquist dummy that was kind of modeled after an anthony hopkins movie called oh, magic cool oh i didn't know that <laughs> yeah so some cool you know i think they just tried to they tried to grab on to any kind of a, uh um you know a theme or a a trope that they could from from, from what was, I'm surprised they didn't do the, the Lovecraft. That would have been cool. Why did you leave Friday the 13th? You know what? I was just unhappy. I, um, like I said, I, I started acting at 13 and wanted to be an actor my whole life. I got uh, this job and, gosh, I wasn't happy. I had to, I, and I, I think I complained to my agent enough where he just said, you know, I had a seven-year contract on the show. I was only a year and a half into the show, and I was unhappy. And so it seemed kind of desperate to me. And I think I complained to him enough, and he said, well, you want me to get you out of it? And I, I said, yeah, I think I do. So, I mean, here you are. I mean, it's kind of an existential crisis. Here I am doing something that I've always dreamed of doing, and I wasn't happy. I had to kind of figure some stuff out. And so uh, so I, I left, and I... Um, did a tour of baseball parks and trying to find, you know, I, I just read, uh, what did I, what's the name of that the WP Kinsella book, uh, Field of Dreams. I just read that. So I did a baseball park tour like they did in, uh, in that book and, and then went and did a play in Chicago and, um, you know, just tried to start over again, tried to see, um, you know, what was going to make me. Were you able to find your happiness? Oh, it's a constant search, isn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, true. Spiritual fulfillment is always something that is um, better, uh, better, I think, um, uh, striving for than actually attained. Did, were you when you were on Friday the Thirteenth for the for the two years? Was there ever roles that came by that you, you couldn't take because you were locked into this TV series? No, I don't think so. I mean, I. I'd, I'd go to New York every once in a while and audition for different things, but none of them were uh, going to be a conflict, no. Okay. 
Because like um, I, they're only going to be a conflict, I guess, if they if you actually get the role. So I guess I didn't get any role. Whenever whenever I hear about actors having that problem, I I, I always always go back to uh, Magnum PI actor Tom Selleck was to play Indiana Jones, but he couldn't get out of his Magnum PI contract to go film a movie for a few months. How different would that have been? Well, you can actually yeah. watch on the DVD or Blu-ray. They have the um, uh, audition footage of him in the Indiana Jones costume, doing lines from Indiana Jones. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Well, I think it. I think it turned out for the best. I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's on Blue Bloods for like eight seasons. So. <laughs> yeah, Harrison Ford doesn't make a too shabby of an Indiana Jones. No. <laughs> was there ever a plot on the show that you wanted them to do that they never got around to? Did you ever have an idea you pitched to them and you're like, damn, I kind of wish they would do it with that object or this object? No, I was not. I, I had no time to think on those, uh, to think uh, about plot episodes. I was just trying to keep the ship afloat. Our, our schedule was pretty demanding. It was a seven-day shoot, and um, if we weren't shooting the main... Uh, episode we were shooting pickups for the episode that we shot the week before so it was a crazy schedule oh yeah so that's long days with makeup and whatnot like uh you know crack of dawn type of thing long days turning from you know from from uh, you'd go from day to night from night to day and and uh yeah it was hard it was hard i mean it was hard it was hard to to, to tell which you know which day it was which day of the week it was if they and we ever work, and we work well into Saturday too, so we basically get like a day and a half off every week. Um, oh, that sounds grueling. Yeah, well, it wasn't you know? Look, it wasn't digging a ditch. It was you know, it was it was, <laughs> it was some it was it was exciting at the same time. Yeah. I always said that um, I don't think Jason makes very good uh, narration material sometimes in comic books and books, but I definitely think Friday the Thirteenth the series would absolutely lend itself to an amazing comic book series or series of novels based on based on the three of you or four of you including Johnny eventually well i think you ought to write it <laughs> um <laughs> i think friday the 13th has enough problems right now in legal battles between daddy and daddy who who owns jason than me getting involved no, I haven't been paying attention. Yeah, Jason has had uh, the Friday the 13th name, which I'm assuming also includes the TV series, is currently in legal disputes with Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham. Uh, that's going to take a while. Yeah. May the best man win. Yeah, but I always kept saying, God, the TV series, think about it. Every, you know, every couple issues of the comic or every novel would be a great, like, you know, hunt for the object or something. That would make a, a really compelling actual, you know, novel series or comic book series. Well, I mean, that's because the, the show is so formulaic. You know, every episode has pretty much the same type of arc. You find out uh, in the very beginning... Uh, there's a death or some sort of killing or the object gets revealed and then you go towards the opening credits and then the uh, Curious Goods crew kind of discover the object's influence and then they hunt for it. Big battle, object acquired, put in the vault, save the day. Yeah, very formulaic, but it works. You know, It was comforting in that formula. Yeah, you knew what you were getting week in and week out. Yeah, yeah. As I said, you know, it's one of those that you could jump in and jump out at any moment, and you were able to enjoy it no matter, you know, how many weeks you missed. Right, right. With the prophecy um, being your uh, your final two episodes, um, 
Who's your favorite baseball team right now? I'm a Minnesota Twins fan. Minnesota. I was born there. Boston the Red Senator? Sox. Sorry, Boston Red Sox fan. I don't want to say why. You know, they're up three games to two, three games to one uh, in the World Series right now. But. Sports, no! <laughs> Yes, going to be a very happy town, Boston. Oh, my God. After last night? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) They look good. They look good. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Zeneca, do you have any more great tidbits about the episode you want to cover with with John? Uh, Well, I mean, it was a lovely send-off. And in the DVDs, you see them as the the two episodes as one long movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, And so you don't get the you know, break up of the of the opening credits and all of that again. I think it was a wonderful send off for Ryan. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched it with my son and my partner and, and they enjoyed it as well. Um the acting that you did on that episode is really top notch. You know, especially that, that crying episode in front of Jack. That's I mean, that got me. As you you change throughout the episode, just like in the, the Coven of Darkness episode where you slowly uh devolve into this possessed person um i think the the makeup job the acting that you did was wonderful to bring that idea into reality and you know i'm just going to miss not seeing you i'm you know as we finish up this show it's johnny's great but you were the best oh that's very nice of you to say i i did i enjoyed my time there i wish i would have had the tools in my uh, psychic tool belt to kind of hang out and finish, you know, with uh, the contract and and um, and finish the rest of the run of the show. I wish I would have been able to do that, but um, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. That's true. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed um, kind of revisiting all of these episodes um, with you guys as our our hosts. You know, walking us through all the all of the appeared on the show and uh, uh, reminded me of of all the cursed objects that we fought from week in and week out um it was really uh it was really a nice kind of uh revisiting again i like i don't watch these episodes uh, very often yeah and uh um <laughs> it, it was kind of fun to listen to you guys uh riff on all of them oh thank you we've we've certainly been enjoying doing the show oh good glad to hear it it was one of the top priorities I had to do. Um, one of the top shows I had a priority to do when I first came up with the idea for the Dead TV podcast. Um, it was like eventually and eventually, and then of course we just had to commit to it because it was. It's the longest show we'll be doing. It's 72 episodes long. And the next one we're doing that's um, almost as long is we will be starting next year. The Adams Family. And the Adams Family. Yes. Fun. How many episodes a year did they do? We did like 26 episodes a season, I think. Yeah, God, you guys did some crazy amount of episodes. Paramount's yes. got serious money for a syndicated show to be able to do that, because uh, 26 is, that's a lot. The, yeah, Adams family, a... the Adams Family ran for 66 episodes. Uh, okay. 64 episodes. 64 episodes. For two seasons. Two seasons, yeah. Well, that'll be fun for you to do. Yeah, we're tying it into the release of the upcoming animated movie, which is coming out next September, from the same people that made Despicable oh. Me. 
Very cool. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I'm reading all of the autobiographies, so you don't have to. <laughs> See, that's your that's where your that's all your research, huh? I yeah. know, I know. I'm just I love doing research. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Sometimes it's you a show. A good, you make a good team that way, guys. Thank you, thank you. Sometimes it's a matter of like who's got the more of the you know the first time watcher versus the guy who's watched it a lot, like we did with like Constantine. I'd seen it before, and this was her first time view, viewing through it, or. Uh, um, you know, and, and like season three of Friday the Thirteenth, half of season two, and I think almost all of season three will be my first time watching watching it because I, I I can't remember anything about season uh, three that much other than Johnny being on the show. So this will be like brand new for me. Hey, how did you guys meet, and how do you guys decide to do this show? I had Mr. Zeneca on the Dr. Chris Radio of Horror Show uh, a few years ago for a couple of the things that she's involved with in her Pennsylvania area of... Yeah, my parties. Yeah, her um, her her kink-centric my parties and stuff. Weekends. Zombie weekends. and and stuff like that. And uh, then I came up with... And then I had her on again. And then after that, I had the idea about starting a podcast because I had just been doing the radio show, broadcasting live radio show on the dial here in Worcester for several years and not actually doing a podcast. And I had two podcast ideas and I was like, I did my research, found out nobody is covering television shows that have been canceled. People are covering movies that have never been made into you know films from, from scripts and stuff or sequels that were never made and stuff like that, but nobody was covering TV series that had been canceled, especially shows like Kindred the Embrace, Constantine, Friday the 13th, and so on and so forth. And that's when I proposed to Mr. Zeneca, who I knew was a diehard horror fan, um, yeah. who I'd kept in contact with after she'd come on the show a couple times, about doing this podcast. And uh, Yeah, we... and I started doing this with Dr. Chris because I thought it was going to be this fun little lark, you know, um, to be honest, I, I didn't. Yeah. I just started doing it as a lark. I, I thought no one was going to listen to us. It doesn't really matter anyway. So I just started, yeah, you know, just something that I do on my, you know, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evenings. And then it, we started actually get, getting listeners. And I'm like, oh, well, uh, I, I got to take this seriously now. <laughs> and, and, uh, I think from there, the quality has just gotten up with uh, both the research and the amount of time that we dedicate towards doing our, our podcast. And it was definitely, well, and it is, it is without a doubt, it is without any question that it was Friday the 13th that really boosted our podcast. Um, yeah. It yeah. helped to, uh, in, in no small part, to um, writer, producer uh, Jim Henshaw. Absolutely. I mean, that is a great guest to have on. We've had him on twice now, and he'll be on again, I believe. If I got to do my research a little bit, he'll be on around the holidays. So um, even though we're not covering a holiday episode, but that's just the time frame he'll be back on. Um, and uh, that was a uh, that that was a big help because I think that's where you learned about it, right? Yeah, I think he sent me, or I think I got a Facebook notification that he had appeared on the show, and that's. Listen to it. Our first time I heard about it, and yeah, yeah. And then a lot yeah. of people's reaction was like, "Wait, you're covering Friday the Thirteenth, the series? What? Nobody talks about that show, other than like Crystal Lake <laughs> Chronicles, the the Friday the Thirteenth, you know, that big, that massive companion book, and the the, the documentary, you know, gave it a mention." Yeah, crazy. But, but going episode by episode, no one had done that before, which was a shocker to us. Right. Um. I mean, there are a lot. I, of... I thought it would have been as popular as like Tales from the Crypt. You know, you can find someone that does an episode by episode of that but uh friday the 13th there's nothing yeah so 
We just had to do it. Yeah, and we and, and there are a lot of shows that are not giving getting an episode by episode, you know, kind of coverage and review. Um, there are the popular ones, and then there are the popular canceled ones, like you know, Firefly. There were a nausea amount of podcasts about Firefly, uh, which was a show from the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, so it's supposed to be a really good show. I haven't seen it. What was that again? Sorry. It's supposed to be a really good show, Firefly. I haven't seen it though. Yeah, it's uh, Cowboys in Space. Yeah, that's the way the star of it, Nathan Fillion, describes it. Who's now on um, the Rookie on ABC? Okay. Um, I mean, I I didn't actually get into Firefly until the movie Serenity came out. Right. And then I gave Firefly a, a chance because I do not like westerns, and the description of western is based. I'm like pass. Uh, but it's actually a really good show. It's really funny. Um, it has some some bones to it. So yeah, if you have some time. Uh, yeah, watch an episode. You will definitely get into westerns, Mrs. Zeneca, when we, uh, if ah. we can get to Bruce Campbell's The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Okay, okay. Well, taking it back to the Necronomicon in some way. Oh, by the way, also stars an actor who is on Friday the 13th, the series, Billy Drago. Oh, okay. <laughs> He played a villain, I believe. That on the, was a blast to work with in Read My Lips, Billy Drago was. Yeah, and I, it was that episode we were reviewing. I found out, oh my God, he's still alive. I thought I thought I'd heard he passed away. Uh, but and, uh, You know what? I got a piece of trivia for you. I forgot to mention my dad was in two episodes of the show. Oh. He, oh. Was, he was visiting the set, and he was a bit of a ham, and um, we had him as an extra. He was an extra monk. In the second episode, um, with the poison pen, and he was in the episode of Pipe Dreams with my fake dad and my real dad in the same shot. Um, he walks down the hall behind Michael Constantine. Oh. I thought that was pretty cool. That is very interesting. We're going to have yeah. to pull up a picture of that to put it on our Facebook page. Is yeah. it? Sorry, go ahead. Is anybody else in your family in, in the uh, acting business in any kind of way, shape, or form? No. No. No, nobody else. Just I was the only crazy one. <laughs> you definitely have to be crazy to <laughs> pursue an acting career. Right? <laughs> that is not yeah. a... Uh, not an easy job. No, it's not an easy job, and that is not a guaranteed job ever. You know? I mean, one minute you could be hot, and the one minute you could be not. You know? And, and uh, you know, even the people who work on, like, Marvel and Star Wars movies have said that they're not, you know, expected to last forever. It takes a lot of perseverance and a lot of luck. And uh, a tough skin to uh, go through all those rejections. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. A pleasure talking to you guys. Um, you guys make a great team. And, yeah, thanks again for, you know, for walking me down memory lane. That was really, um, really, uh, really fun. Yeah, I had a blast. Well, thank you so much for giving us a, a show that's incredible to watch, and even upon seeing it 30 years later, it is amazing, still. Oh, you're too kind. <laughs> you know, some shows you can watch over and over and over again, and I think this is one of them. Oh, good. Good, good. Like, like I said, my wife just saw the saw prophecies for the first time. She was impressed though, I got to say. She might watch that again. <laughs> you got to you got to sit down and just uh do a binge watch with her from the very beginning from uh and right 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 to start with the uh, inheritance. That, that's that's right. a long commitment there. <laughs> I, I keep I keep threatening her with that and she she keeps no she keeps saying that we need to do it. We just haven't found the time. 
Yeah. Um, John, when I first started Radio of Horror in 2007, October 15th, 2007, uh, you were one of my top ten choices for actors that I wanted to have on the show at some point in the in the future. Oh, thanks. So it's an absolute been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Radio of Horror Network now, which is including the podcast, the three podcasts that I do in the sh- radio show. So thank you so, so much for coming on the show and talking with us about Friday the 13th and Jason Goes to Hell, which I think I had mentioned to you online. That was the first Friday the 13th movie I had ever seen on the big screen. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, by the way, you're going to believe this. So I was 14 years old when I saw that movie. <laughs> And that was like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. I think I had a buddy of mine who uh, saw that. Uh, well, he became a buddy after he saw, after he met me, after I, after the movie. And um, I think I met him at the pre. We had a premiere of that show in St. Paul, Minnesota. My cousin. Um, managed. He worked at a movie theater, and he managed to get the theater and have all my family and friends come and in Minnesota, come and see, see um, Jason Goes to Hell, uh, private screening. And, um, and this guy from, was there as well. And, and I said, how'd you, how'd you, you know, I was, I was meeting everybody after the show, and I didn't know this guy at the time. I said, how did you like the show? And he goes, too much John D. LeMay. And I think what he was trying to say was he was kind of expecting to see more Jason and more kills and more stuff like that. And um, I think Adam the director had a different idea and it's kind of what, what, um, what drew me to the project to begin with. He, well, he wanted to make a different kind of Jason movie and, and it sure was, it didn't, it didn't quite have fit the mold. You guys there? Yeah, yeah, we're here. And I was waiting for Mr. Zeneca to say something I thought she was going to. Yeah, I'm I just, sorry, I left, sorry. I left speechless with that story. That, I don't even know where I was going with that story. That is the perfect way to end it. <laughs> There's too much John D. LeMay here. Yeah, no, no, no. You were, you no, you were fine in that movie. I mean, that movie had a perfect balance of like everybody in it. Yeah, and uh, uh, what's funny is that out of everyone in that movie, the first person I've ever met from it, besides Kane, of course, um, was um, Aaron Gray at a comic book convention, and she was not there as a guest. She was actually representing some. She was a she was. agenting being an agent for someone else and i i she gave me her business card i'm like wait a minute wait a minute are you aaron gray from jason goes to hell and buck rogers she takes off her glasses and hat and she's like i am the one in the same <laughs> yeah she's she's sweet and actually she's my agent for public appearances like that as well oh my god that's so awesome and are you doing any public appearances because i never see your name on the convention circuits Nobody's asked me, man. Oh, we got to get up. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I mean, uh, I I think I did. I did one in Baltimore, but that was probably like 2002 or something like that. But uh, that's, I think, the last one I've done. And this is the 25th anniversary this year of Jason Goes to Hell, by the way. And and I'm like surprised that some of the Horror Hound or, you know, some of those cons that have put together Big Friday the 13th reunions hasn't put together a Jason Goes to Hell reunion. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why. Yeah. But you can look for Mr. Zeneca and I's uh, fan commentary of Jason Goes to Hell coming up. They will be doing it. <laughs> it will be the first time watch for her and the umpteenth millionth watch for me. I look forward to that with bated breath. <laughs> oh yeah it's gonna be good <laughs> but again i'm a fan of that movie so even the bad stuff in that film i'll still be like cheering on <laughs> well you know when we do these films i sometimes do it as a drinking game so i'm gonna have to yeah choose what is the the conditions of my drinking game for that one 
Yeah. Well, you could turn into an alcoholic with this Friday the 13th, the series. There was, I think there was a drink, drinking game associated with it, too. Oh, for, for each kill, you uh, take a drink or something like that? I think every time I said, Mickey, look out. Uh, or, okay. Oh, my God. The, the, the Ryan DeLion scream that you, you, you would do when you were calling out someone's name or something, like the girl with the compact, you have this, like, roaring scream. Yeah, you have to chug a beer every time I do that scream. <laughs> well, in, in the Prophecy episodes, we had a total headcount of uh, four died. Does so. that include Ryan? Uh, you know, actually, it doesn't, because he's... He lived. I didn't die, my friend. I did not die. No. He just transformed. He transformed and then changed his name to Steven one day. <laughs> there you go. Well, again, right. John, thank you so much for coming on the Dead TV podcast with us for the uh, beginning of Season 3 and your final two episodes of Friday the 13th, the series. It was my pleasure. Um, you guys uh, enjoy the rest of uh, the day. We will. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye, John. Once again, thanks to John for coming on the show. You can you can find me, Mr. Zeneca, and I on Facebook at the Dead TV Podcast and our individual Twitters at Chris D S A V and at Elegantly Kinky. And you can also support us on Patreon if you wish at Dr. Chris's Radio of Horror. If you are a business or a website of some kind and you would like sponsorship, you could always reach us at thatradiohorror at gmail dot com. And we'll be back next week for another two episodes of Friday the 13th, the series, as we march our th- way through the rest of this sh- season on the way through 20, the beginning of 2019. Thank you, everybody, and have a great night. Bye. This program is sponsored by Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. (laughs) 